freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Roy, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Uh, so fun talking to Jerry there. And I, I love the, I just said, I could listen to former players just tell old stories of their playing days forever. They're always entertaining to me. There's no end to how much of that I could listen to. And I really do enjoy the traject machine conversation. A bunch of questions came in on that. Uh, wow, if that machine exists and works, how would you teach your pitchers to adapt to it? It's a great question. I don't know. Uh, does it emulate Hall of Fame pitchers? I don't think so because I think you need to have all the new information that they have with spin rate and axes and all of that type of stuff. I don't think they would have that from the pre what is it track man or whatever i don't think they have that from more than what five ten years ago so at the most so no i don't think you can just like decide you want to go hit pedro martinez or randy johnson or whatever i don't i don't think you can do that but that would be cool uh, another texture said is that machine a league-wide thing or just something the mariners brought in uh, both uh so they're about 500 grand a piece i did a little research on the company it's t-r-a-j-e-k-t traject canadian company and I think they're about $500,000 a piece. So if you've got a spare half mil, you could bring a traject machine to your own home and kind of go from there. I don't know if there's a monthly fee to add in all the data, but, uh, you know, think of it like, a, you know, a, a really nice Peloton, you know. Um, so the Mariners have two. They've got one in Peoria, one up here at, at uh, T-Mobile. Uh, my understanding is that there are other teams that have it, but not all teams do. So, you know, I don't know whether it's half the teams or two thirds or what the number is, but it is it's not uncommon, but it is not universal. So just uh, some of the info I've been able to glean. Uh, Really excited to see it when we're down there and everything else at spring training more. This is your first trip to spring training. We're really excited that we're all going to get to go together, all four of us. What uh, what are you looking forward to? What questions do you have? Um, This is sort of our uh, Mora gets ready for Peoria conversation here. Well. I'm looking forward to the Brock awkwardness, the body show. Oh, for sure. I haven't. I've I've witnessed the body show at training camp, but never at spring training. Yeah, it in some ways is better, in some ways it's worse. I mean, he feels so confident at training camp where he just like you know it's his it's his sport. Football guys, these are my guys, right? Yeah, but at, at you know the baseball players like. He's more intrigued by what they might look like and shocked by some of it. So, yeah, you get a lot of Brock body analysis over the okay. course of the week. And how how are the games? There's more than one game going on at once. There's multiple fields here. So most of it's not game. So so we'll see one game in the afternoon. And, you know, the games are fine. The games are, you know, either at one o'clock or sometimes they're at night. I think we have all afternoon games while we're there. And we go kind of across the street to where the stadium is. Their their clubhouse is sort of backs up to the stadium and then the um the Padres are on the other side. The most of the access is just during the day when they're just working out. Right. They're taking infield. They're taking batting practice. Pitchers are doing pitcher fielding practice. So most of what we're there for isn't the games. It's the sort of just workouts and stuff that go on before every game. Okay, what are your favorite drills? Oh, doesn't matter. They're all the same. I mean, like <laughs> it, you know, it's it's not. It's like it's fun. PFP is fun. Pitcher fielding practice because those guys sort of. It's the only time they do it really all year, and so they have a good time with it. And usually they'll joke around. It's fun for them to do a little bit, and then after a while they're like, "All right, I want out of this." Um, it's fun to watch pitchers to throw bullpens because that's sort of you can get really close to seeing that. 
Um, and then batting practice is fine, but it doesn't look that different from what it would look like if you were I mean, to show up. Yeah, I have up. seen pregame batting practice. You know before. what that looks like. So I would say that is probably the weakest of the things to go see. But a few years ago, the Mariners started allowing fans to shag fly balls for batting practice. You have to sign a waiver and you bring your glove or whatever. And so we did that a couple times. And that makes BP pretty freaking cool because you realize just how hard those guys hit it. What what I found out quickly is if you have if you're in say left field and a right hander comes up, there's no chance you'll catch a ball. Every ball they hit to their pull side is gone. And the only way you would get a ball is a fly ball in the outfield is when they're trying to go the other way to practice going the other way. Sometimes they'll pop it to the outfield. Other than that, in, pra- in practice, for the most part, what I found is if you're on their pull side, it's just gone. It's crazy. Wow. Their their ability to hit is just remarkable. I think after hearing from Jerry, the other thing I'm excited for now is uh, apparently a Eugenio just coming in and being like <laughs> being loud, the loudest thing in the building. Yeah, yeah. I would say you'll get a lot of that. Like you know, you get to see it's each like guy it's walk in. Bryce Miller's. Or Eugenio showing up in the morning. Well, we we our uh, our normal spot sort of allows us a good view of each player walking in. They all kind of all walk through the same uh, walkway that we come in in the morning, and it's right by where our our uh, setup is. And so you get to see like who kind of drags in like half asleep, who comes in early, who like slinks into the clubhouse before seeing anybody, who gives you the little like baseball player what's up nod, who comes in with their headphone. I was one of the things I noticed last year, if you remember, is how few guys had headphones on. Almost no one. Oh, yeah, that was a big observation. For well, me. You it, kept bringing that up. I kept bringing it up, but I'd never seen it before. Everywhere you go, everyone's got their headphones on. They're all in their own world. Athletes, are you kidding me? All they want to do is be, you know, covered by their headphones. And sure they don't have AirPods or earbuds? In? Oh, you would be able to see it. I mean, you're close enough. You'd be able to see it. They just didn't, they didn't have it. They were there to talk to each other and be around each other. And I just, I don't know, that really stood out to me as as being something that uh, was pretty cool. Plus, you get to say hi to Ichiro every morning when he walks in, which is super exciting. I mean, that's pretty great. Yeah. Will you shout at Ichiro when he comes by? Probably not. No? You won't give a, what's up, Ich? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've uh, I think you, earned I think, that right. What if all four of us take a turn <laughs> one day? Saying hi to Ichiro like that. I mean, Brock will be incredibly, you know, loud. We have the two five three referring to it as Brockwardness. Yes, I would say that's uh, fairly, <laughs> fairly accurate. Um, so yeah, what if what if you did that? What do you think? I don't know. No, you're unwilling. I tell you that I'm shy. You guys don't believe me because I know you guys. But normally, <laughs> I don't know. Wait, I mean, you don't Ichiro's think we believe that you're shy? Legend. You think I could just yell at him? Like yeah, that? people I don't do. know. People know who you and Brock are. They don't know who I am. Ichiro doesn't know who I am. You just go, hey, what's up, Beach? <laughs> He doesn't know. People yell at each other all the time. Think about it. He's been like one of the most famous people in the world for the last 20 years. All you do is yell, and he just goes, hey. <laughs> he waves, and off he goes. All right. It's great. I'll practice. All right. I'll start practice. Let me, let me hear one. Give me a what's up, each. Let's hear it. What's up, each? Yeah, that's like a it. C plus. You can right. do a little better. Give me, give me a little bit more. Come on. Give me one more. What's up, Beach? Oh, much better. Already okay. already in the B right. range. I think we'll get you to an A by next week. All right. <laughs> Mora goes to Peoria next week. We'll all be down there all week long talking to the Mariners, talking about the Mariners, and bringing you a lot of observations from spring training. It's pretty darn cool. If you ever get a chance to go, I do recommend it. This hour brought to you by 3010 Weight Loss for Life. Come right back. Give you everything you need to know. Preview Bruins and Kraken tonight. And then we'll finish things up with a ranked at 945. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. 
need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, you heard some breaking news this morning, and Jerry DePoto confirming it for us and explaining Cole Calhoun, longtime Mariner killer and left-handed hitting outfielder, is in the building in Peoria on a minor league deal pending a physical, which uh, they are getting done today. They could certainly use the depth, and uh, I think they like him, like his leadership, like his clubhouse presence, like his defense, like his ability to run, and if they could find a way to get the bat back to where it was a few years ago, certainly there might still be a little something left there. So uh, that's one move the Mariners make today. Day. Uh, we also found out yesterday exactly what I suspected all along, which is that Ty France was indeed dealing with a wrist injury that hurt his productivity last year. Yeah, I think it, it stemmed from that that play in Oakland where the uh, noisy took my arm out. Um, you know, there's still some lingering to it, and then I started manipulating my swing to try and avoid you know any pain or anything like that so just created bad habits and once you start manipulating your swing to avoid pain then you start speeding it up and swinging early in order to deal with the fact that your bat's not as fast as you want it to be you're lost and clearly that's what happened to him last year and uh yeah i was right and i was right and i was right about it and i'm gonna keep telling people about that because it's great news that i was it means that ty france can go back to being ty france instead of the shell of ty france that we watched the second half of last year Here's the second thing you need to know. You know, G. Scott made a good point yesterday, and I've been kind of thinking through it and talking about it throughout this morning. He had a different way of doing business with regards to what you do with Geno Smith. I think the Seattle Seahawks say, hey, you know what? We got about $25 million a season for you. You want that deal? Cool. If not, you're going to have to go out there on the market and find somebody that's going to beat that. And then we're going to rack them and stack them. And we're going to take the gamble with this young guy, this 24-year-old Drew Locke. Yeah, it's an interesting way of doing it, right? Where you just say, okay, we're content playing our cards and doing this the same way we did it last year. And if you want to come for our price, great. And if not, see ya. Good luck. We wish you the best. Take some guts. There's no doubt about it. And it also means that I think you've got to, excuse me, you've got to know ahead of time before, before um, free agency what he's going to do. Because you can't. The whole idea of letting Gino go and saving the money is about what you're going to do with it once you have it in free agency or other ways to build the team. So I don't know how all of the timing would work on something like that, but I was certainly intrigued by the proposition. Here's the third thing you need to know. To find out a little bit more about this coming up here in 10 minutes as we will uh, talk to Joe Haggerty, who covers the Bruins. But huge game tonight for the Kraken, arguably the biggest home game they've ever played. I know they're wearing their, uh, what are they called? The, uh, what are the, the reverse retros? retros. Thank you more. They're wearing their reverse retros tonight, and uh, they're going to try to beat the Bruins for a second time this year. I don't think anybody's pulled that off. They've only got eight losses on the year overall, so I don't think anyone's beaten them twice. Uh, the Kraken played a really good game against them the last time, and they certainly made Patrice Bergeron notice. Yeah, it was their forecheck. You know, they're really uh, a hardworking team that was on the puck at all times and uh, had a good transition. They were uh, you know, playing hard, um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's a team that uh, we know what they're all about. They're a team that's, uh, you know, has, has good depth, but also uh, seems to be playing the right way, and, and those teams are not uh, easy to play against. No, they're not, and and that's been their calling card when they do things the right way, which they certainly did in that game against the Bruins. Now, if you can convince Ron Francis, if you're the team, beat the Bruins again, maybe you do have a chance to convince him to go for it, right? 
And it sounds like uh, he may be already thinking that way. ESPN insider Emily Kaplan quoting an assistant GM who said they could be a surprise team at the deadline that actually, you know, moves everything. Said they heard, uh, I think they've been sniffing around on a lot of possibilities to add to their roster. So there you go. That is everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour here in the new Brock and Salk show. I, I should also add this. Aaron Rodgers, apparently, uh, you may have heard today, did emerge from his darkness retreat. Good for him. Yes, like uh, Punxsutawney Phil, he emerged <laughs> and uh, is ready to tell people at some point here what he's going to do. So we actually do have some of the audio. Here is uh, Aaron Rodgers immediately upon leaving the Sky Cave darkness retreat in Oregon. Even though there's darkness, there's like these kind of strands of light I felt piercing into me. And that, you know, that has it happened somewhat visually, somewhat energetically. Yep. Yeah, there's a, there's a peacefulness to it. It felt almost like uh, womb-like. Like I can, I can feel myself on the precipice of coming back into the light and a little scared. He was a little scared. I think that's why he's going to end up staying in Green Bay when it's said and done. A little scared of maybe finding himself in a new place. Doesn't want to go to New York. In a new womb. Doesn't want to go to the to the to the Las to the womb of Las Vegas. No. So uh, yeah, the uh, womb like retreat is going to keep him in Green Bay. It sounds like good news and uh, some exclusive audio there. You won't hear that anywhere else. That is uh, exclusive <laughs> audio we found. And then it turns out, did you know that his uh, girlfriend went with him? I have some sound of her. She also did a darkness retreat, and this is what she sounded like afterwards. It's like you're in the darkness, right. but you're also a part of the darkness, uh-huh. and it's like infinite. Oh my it's God. like so expansive. It's like everything. I, I don't even know. I, 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 there's just no words. There's no words. What a happy couple. Don't they sound happy? They had a great time at Cave Sky Cave Creek or whatever this place is. And the uh, the Hobbit house, as Adam Schefter. Yep, their little it. Hobbit house, hanging out together and in, uh, in the darkness. And now uh, everything has gone well for Aaron. I think he knows what uh, direction he wants to go. How about that? All right, Whew. coming up next, it is uh, truly the biggest game the Kraken have ever played in their home building. Uh, and if you win it. You don't go to the playoffs or anything like that. And eventually, you know, there will be bigger games played than this one. But I think you can certainly show quite a bit about who you are as a team this year and what your GM needs to do to go help you out down the stretch. So we're going to go talk to a buddy of mine, Joe Haggerty in Boston, get a sense of what the Kraken are up against. We'll do it next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. I think what I would describe as a fairly obvious ranked coming up this morning uh, here in 15 minutes uh, based on the conversation today. I don't think anybody should be too surprised uh, to see us go in this direction, but we do have ranked coming up here in 15 minutes. And yes, it's another straight ranking. Uh, and Brady, our guy, Brady Bones in today for Justin is uh, he's going to play a big role in that as well. So uh, stick around. That's coming up in 15 minutes. But of course, we're also getting ready tonight for Bruins Kraken uh, climate pledge the uh, i think the biggest game to date so far here in this building and to join us i'll preview a little bit my friend joe haggerty from boston hockey now joseph how are you sir Salky, what's going on my friend how you doing i'm doing great it's good to hear your voice this morning it's been too long man oh it feels great and uh, it 
I'm not in Seattle uh, on the road with the team. I am on my front porch staring at all kinds of snow all around me right now. So oh. it feels like hockey uh, talking to you right wow. now. Well, I'm getting ready to go down to spring training like later this afternoon. So forget hockey. We're, <laughs> we're, we're heading down and getting ready for a little Arizona sun starting, uh, I don't know, about 5 o'clock tonight. Uh, let's talk for a minute right. or two about these Bruins because they are ridiculous this year. Uh, how did they do it? How did, how did they build a juggernaut like this? Well, I, I think first of all, you know, some of the bones of this team were still very good. I, even though the biggest pessimist about the Bruins going into this year still felt like they were a playoff team. So you're starting from a decent place, right? And then once you get David Krejci to come back with Patrice Bergeron, obviously uh, coming back on the one-year deal, and then you start to bear fruit from some of the moves that Don Sweeney has made over the last couple of years that, you know, at, some of them were criticized, right? Like, I, when he signed Linus Allmark, uh, there were a lot of people who said, why do we need uh, a goalie like that from the Buffalo Sabres? And why are we spending that kind of money on a goalie when we have a young stud goalie in Jeremy Swayman, you know, that, that seems like he's ready to be a number one. Why are we bringing in this veteran guy? Um, that, you know, that he really hasn't played a full season as a number one for, for a decent team, has no playoff experience. And that obviously has, you know, turned into a guy that's a Vesna Trophy favorite this year. Right. And we see uh, what they saw in Linus Allmark. So that's a big one. And the other one is the first full year of Hampus Lindholm. Uh, got at the trade deadline last year. Don Sweeney, the last few years, has done really well at the trade deadlines, bringing in players like Taylor Hall and Hampus Lindholm and then extending them. And, you know, I- I'd seen my fair share of Anaheim Ducks games, but I had no idea that Hampus Lindholm was as good as he really is. And it's been a game changer for them to have two stud number one defensemen, Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy together. They can play 25 minutes a night, play in all situations. Uh, You know, I remember earlier in the year, a lot of people were bringing up, uh, you know, Pronger and Niedemeyer in Anaheim. And when was the last time you had Mm -hmm. two really stud D-men like that? Other teams can't match up with that, along with the depth that they have uh, at the forward position. So you do that with the, the coaching change. And I think all of that, has turned into what we see now. I'm glad you mentioned some of the, those things because those are are in some ways things the Kraken can repeat or have tried to uh, do the same, right? I mean, two goalies. They, they've gone out of their way to not just have one goalie taking most of the starts. They've tried to go back and forth more than some other teams do. You talk about the trade deadline, and that's obviously a, a conversation here. It's not doesn't just have to be for the last couple months of the season and beyond. It can be taking somebody who's available and signing them to a long-term deal, which the Kraken have had some money available to go do. So I think that's Correct. interesting to to hear it that way. When when we saw the Bruins last, the Kraken shut them down. I mean, they played a great game. Is that repeatable? I think it's repeatable. Um, if you catch the Bruins at the right time, I think that, that at that point, Seattle caught them uh, at a point in the schedule where I, you felt like the Bruins maybe weren't going to be at their best memory serves they had come back from a a decent road trip in the last few days going into that game and I think they were in the midst of you know not playing their best hockey but I think also I do remember very vividly uh, that there was a challenge from uh, Jim Montgomery the Bruins coach towards the defenseman group for the Bruins about you know the Seattle being uh, one of the best scoring offense and one of the best offensive defenseman groups in the NHL and sort of challenging the Bruins to get to that point with the defenseman core that they had. And, and I do remember how impressed uh, Jim Montgomery and a lot of the Bruins were at the roster that Seattle was bringing in from the young talent they have 
you know, to the forward depth, to certainly the defenseman core and the depth that they have on the back end, as well as the goaltending. It, it was clear uh, to them that they were taking the Seattle Kraken as a, a playoff team, a quality team, a team that was going to give them uh, a tough time. And, and I think that is that part's definitely repeatable. The, the thing, though, with the Bruins is they went through their lull before and after the all-star break in the bye, and they lost four or five games in there. That was really the good time to catch them. Now they're kind of rolling again. And, you know, at the beginning of a road trip when they're out in Seattle and, and given the fact that they got shut down by the Kraken last time, I would expect Seattle's going to see their best tonight. Mm. And when the Bruins are at their best, I don't know if anybody else can beat them in the league. Hey, one of the things we've talked a little bit about here, and, and you'd probably know a lot about this, is, you know, we're watching Matty Beneers as a you know young, what, 19, 20-year-old kid. And honestly, he shocks me at how strong he is. I, you know, we remember back, remember when Patrice Bergeron first came up and he was about the same age, right? 18, 19. And he just wasn't, yep. he wasn't a man yet. I mean, he was, he was skilled enough to be out there, but he didn't have his man strength. And it's interesting yep. to watch Matty Beneers. He seems to have some of that. I mean, he doesn't get pushed off the puck that often, but what he has gotten is a whole bunch of cheap shots and guys coming after him and taking extra liberties, et cetera. How how important is it to bring in somebody to just make sure that stuff doesn't keep happening? I think it's important. You know, there, there are many that would call me, you know, a, a hockey caveman and, uh, you know, a troglodyte for uh, going old school and saying you need a tough player to come in to protect your young guys and, you know, to answer uh, if they do take runs at your young skill players. But, like, I'm always a proponent of that, and I think it works, and I think it's something that's still alive in hockey where if you have an intimidating force on your team, a guy that can go out there and you know be a deterrent and also be a guy that can take runs at other players and answer hit for hit if they start coming after you, which is a lot of times nowadays the way that stuff um, gets handled, uh, I think it's important. And I've advocated for this at times for the Bruins too because I think you see it even more, Mike, in the second half of the year. And if Matty Beneers has had uh, guys from other teams taking runs at him at certain points. Uh, you're going to see it even more down the stretch when pe- teams are desperate for points. Uh, the games get more intense mm-hmm. and more physically demanding, and players get targeted. I've seen this with Brad Marchand and David Posternick, especially the last three, four years, that the last few months of the season, they get targeted, and they have t- players from other teams coming after them time after time. And if you don't have somebody that can be a bit of a deterrent from that happening and start taking runs at players on the other team uh, in that fashion, it's going to keep happening. Well, and, uh, you know, it's interesting you make that comparison, though, with, with uh, Beneers and Bergeron. I would say the, the comparison I would put is, is Pasternak, who was also 18 years old when he came up, and he definitely did not have man strength. He was, the skill was there, but now you can see with the man strength that he has, he's a more complete player, and I would expect Beneers is going to turn into that a few years down the line where he's even stronger in addition to go with the skill. Well, and, and then the real fear is, and we saw with Tyler Myers just taking a ridiculous cheap shot against him a couple of weeks ago and ended up leaving with a concussion, is you don't want the marks of art situation where all of a sudden your yeah. young player just is never able to realize all the potential that he's got. So, hey, this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to tonight and, and getting a chance to see these two teams here on this ice. And uh, what, do, what do you make of the Kraken uniforms? Are we pro or uh, con on the Kraken uniforms? <laughs> I like the Kraken uniforms. I think they're different. Yeah. I appreciate the logo. I like the colors. I thought they did a really good job. I, everything they've done really with the Kraken, from the rollout um, to the uniforms, to like the way that they've built their roster, too. Obviously, you know, it took them a couple of years to get up to where they were a playoff team, and, and they weren't a playoff team right off the bat like the Golden Knights were. But I think they've built their team in an extremely good way. 
and built them for the long haul. So I, I'm definitely a fan. And I, I got to go one step further, Salky. I'm just a fan of being able to talk to you about <laughs> hockey and Seattle radio right now. I know. I know this is something you've been dying for for the last like 10 plus years. I know. Is for them to finally get a pro team there so you can start talking more hockey in your market. No, it's been nice. And we have been talking some. I wouldn't say that this has been, you know, a driving force on a day to day basis. <laughs> but it's, but it's, you know, it's trying to figure out how to, how to have some of these conversations, teach the game. You know what? You know what they did, right? You mentioned the Kraken organization. They did one thing incredible well, which is they hire John Forsland and Eddie Olchuk yep. to be their their yep. their play by play in color, and it matters. I mean, you know, Joe and I grew up you know around the same time and around the same place. I didn't yep. play hockey as a kid. Almost everything I know about the game I learned from Derek Sanderson and then from Andy Brickley, the color commentators. Yep. Like having Eddie Olchuk, who's been doing this nationally for forever, it's a big big deal. It really is, and Eddie Olchek's the best. I was talking to him at the Winter Classic. He was here in Boston uh, when the Bruins were playing the Penguins at Fenway Park about you know how excited he was to be with a franchise like that and to be in a market in Seattle that, yes, they do get CBC. Yes, they do get Hockey Night in Canada. You know, they're, they've got junior hockey teams. So there's, there was some hockey going on there before, but there, I'm sure there's a wide swath of the market there that appreciates having a guy like Olchek that can teach the game on the air that can explain what's going on to people that are, you know, dipping their toes into the sport and really make it something that the entire market there uh, can embrace. And that entire region can embrace. And I'm with you. Uh, Forslund's a great play by play guy too. When you bring in two veterans that know what they're doing and have national cachet like that, and are good at, at introducing the game to a new market. That's exactly what you're looking for. No question. Joe, it's good to hear your voice, man. It has been way too long. It's nice to know there's still one member of the Boston sports media who's willing to talk to me. You might be the only one, but it's nice to know that. Uh, now, hopefully this doesn't get you blackballed. Hopefully uh, you're able to survive this uh, in, in your current job. But appreciate it, man. Say hi to Alyssa and the kids. Good to talk to you. I will. You say hi to Heather and your kids, too. And I'm going to send out a tweet right now that I just talked to Softy. Oh, no. no, don't do With that. No, point. then I just have to start blocking people. And I don't I don't <laughs> I don't need that. Like, I, I, I'm happy to just go in peace and leave people alone. Just just keep them away from me. See you, buddy. Good to talk to you. I hear you, bud. There Take you it easy. There, talk there's my you. friend Joe Haggerty. Uh, Joe is a, a legend. He's one of my favorite people and uh, went to his wedding years ago in uh, he got married in the Bahamas. I've told you the story about his dad. God, I should have mentioned this when Joe was still here. Darn it. His dad stump when he when Joe got married in the Bahamas, his dad had never left Massachusetts before. And you hear Joe's accent, his dad's stump. You can imagine it's 10 times stronger than Joe's. He gets down there. He, he, stump's got to be like, I don't know, five foot five, big dude. And he's like. Salty, you got to go with you. It's like bath water. (laughs) It's like stump. It's good to see you, man. He's like, yeah, can you believe we came halfway across the world here? It's like stump. It was an hour and a half flight from Boston. I don't know if I quite call it halfway across the world. But yeah, Joe's uh, Joe's great and uh, and a good perspective there on the Kraken and 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 what they're capable of doing and the way they're being viewed from afar. So huge game tonight. Looking forward to that. It's been a good day, honestly. It has been nice. Uh, it's nice. I will admit. I will admit. I'm willing to be open and honest with all of you guys. When I when I woke up from my nap yesterday, and I saw that Ty France was now finally admitting. Oh, that he had been hurt throughout the back half of last year, that indeed the wrist was bothering him. I will admit, I was kind of happy. 
that I I, w- I will admit I was a little happy. And thank you, Maura, for putting this together. I did mention did it once tell, or twice. Did you tell Wendell? I did. Wendell, I was right. Yes, Wendell and I bonded over it. <laughs> Wendell knew I was right. He was the only one who supported me. I know he said that he's just not hitting and he's chasing and he stinks right now or whatever. But I'm sorry. I don't believe that Ty France's wrist is healthy. Still, still fine with accepting that he can go through a slump. He can go through a slump. The only other slump he's ever been through like this in his career was after he hurt his wrist. I get it. And then he just hurt his wrist, and now he's in a slump. But you can believe in 12 coincidences at once if you want. I choose not to. Like, you know, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And this is textbook guy who can play but can't succeed because of his wrist injury. This is literally what I said when these guys hurt their wrists. Literally that this would happen. I don't want to hear any garbage about how he's swinging at bad pitches. No kidding. Because his wrist is hurt. He's a shell of himself. And I've been on this bandwagon since the guy came back, and everybody's telling me I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. This well, is not Ty France. Well, don't well me, Brock. How <laughs> dare you play my redemption song? And don't tell me I'm crazy, people. Don't da- don't gaslight me. I'm not here to be. Ga- do you get gaslit or gaslighted? Whatever it is, gaslit. I don't want to be gaslit, gaslighted, gaslitten. Any of it. Ty France was hurt last year, and I am proud to say it. And it's good news. For Mariners fans. All right, should we Good do a little you. ranking? I don't know if Ty's gonna how he's gonna feel about you being so happy that he was hurt last He year. should be happy he was hurt. Everyone <laughs> should be happy he was hurt. Not happy that he got hurt, but happy that there's an explanation for his struggles. Yeah. Good. That means that he didn't turn into a bad player overnight, which of course didn't make any sense, which is why I always thought he was hurt. Let's do some ranking. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is ranked. To be honest, their list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on Brock and Saw. Yeah, top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. All right. My final rank of the week is I'm off tomorrow, and we spent a while today talking about that traject machine, right? That's the machine that can imitate current players in baseball. And Jerry DePoto told us a lot about it. If you missed that interview, uh, go uh, listen to it. Jerry was great today. Good storytelling and some good stuff on the traject machine. You can find that at SeattleSports.com or wherever you get your podcast. You should already be subscribed. How dare you? How dare you have not subscribed already? Um, but with that in mind, we thought we would rank the five pitchers in baseball we would be most interested in seeing from that angle, meaning the batter's box, but only with the caveat that you can't get hurt because it doesn't make mistakes. It can't hit you unless you, you know, jump in front of the play. Well, people haven't enjoyed me um, wholeheartedly participating in ranked. And Brady, who's uh, filling in today with Justin out, um, actually was a pitcher and knows much more about this. So he's going to. So we're going to let Brady Bones come up with his five. All right, Brady, tell me who is in your top five. We're doing top five. We're doing any honorable mention. Oh, if you need an honorable mention or two. Because you said earlier that it has to be current pitchers. It can't be retired former pitchers. I think so, unfortunately. All my honorable mentions are former pitchers, retired. Right, like you'd like to see Randy Johnson and Pedro and all those types, right? Maddox. 
No Maddox on my list for honorable mention. I have Randy Johnson, Nolan Ryan, Bob Feller, yeah. Pedro Martinez, of course, King Felix. Bob Gibson. He's not in there, but another guy of that era, Goose Gossage. See, the problem with Bob Gibson is that even it though it doesn't you. make mistakes, it would hit you on purpose. That's yeah. what Bob Gibson would do. Yeah. So after Goose Gossage, I got Billy Wagner. Oh, that'd be fun. That's great. I Lefty would like to see Billy Wagner. Gas. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. actually a good one. Um, Tim Wakefield, because I want to see that. Uh, Dirty oh, that's Knuckle a good one, too. Yeah. Like. Or the Necros or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sandy Koufax. Sure. And Mariano Rivera. To see the cutter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Started right at my hip. Yep. It's going to end up on the outside corner. Yeah. yeah oh, are you? Are uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Starts at your hip. Yes. Okay. So tell me. Uh, so, okay. Who's on your list of current guys? By the way, I uh, I know Goose Gossage. He lives in Colorado Springs. He's your guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I made some cracks to him about the Red Sox when I first waited on him. He used to come into our restaurant. And he still have the stash? Became friends. Yes, he yeah. does. That's what he needs. He has to have the stash. I mean, it's a trademark. Do you want me to go through all of them or just one? Uh, give me your top five. One. No, no, give me your top five real quick. Top five. Let's okay, go. starting at the bottom, Luis Castillo, number okay. five. Number five. He's on my list as well. And I'm going to preface this with these are all current players, and I'm basing it off of them in their ultimate prime. Yeah, that's fair. So Luis Castillo, Clayton Kershaw, Araldis Chapman, Edwin Diaz, and the dirtiest of them all, the slider man himself, Chris Sale. Hmm. Three of our five are the same. Are you? Are and we did this without talking to we each did other. Not talk. Three of our five are the same. Woo! So here's. Well, we all knew Luis Castillo was. Yeah, that be one was a given. He's not number one though. Here's here's my top five, and and there I'll give you some reasonings behind it. Uh, Kershaw for me would be number five. I'd love to see what that big lefty sweeping curveball looks like. Like I have specific things about each of these guys that I'd like to see. And that big sweeping curveball, I think would just be amazing to see, especially from the left side. If we were going back in time, the reason I thought of Kershaw is that I would love to see David Wells. He'd be another guy who would have been historically on my list. His was maybe a little tighter, but he threw a couple different left-handed curveballs, and I don't know, Kershaw sort that, of Kershaw's exemplifies delivery that. too, with the jerk at the top, yeah. and goes down, and then the, as he goes down, the ball goes up, yeah. and it, it really throws you off. Okay, so uh, Kershaw for me will be number five. Number four, Shohei Otani. And I kind of just like to see the splitter and the way it just disappears, right? I mean, he's got all the pitches, certainly him, you know, high riding, four seamer, et cetera. But seeing the way that splitter just totally disappears, I think that'd be pretty darn cool. So he'll be number four on my list, Shohei Otani. All right, number three is Luis Castillo. And, you know, there's a few reasons why. Um, you know, obviously, I'm just intrigued because he's here. But I, I'd like to see the I'd like to see the difference between his pitches. How different is a two seamer from a four seamer? Very different. I know, and spe- and he's got great difference between them. That and his arm angle, arm slot, and release point are all identical on all his pitches. I know. So you have to make like split second decision. Like, is the ball going to stay here, or is so it going crazy? Or is it going to dip one way or the other? Right, and then you get to see the slider. And I would really like to see a great right-handed changeup, and I think he has one. So uh, Luis Castillo because. Because of just the variety would be on my list as well. You know who else I was thinking about? I didn't put him on my list. He's not on my top five, but um, uh, what's his name? The, the former Reds pitcher was with the Royals the last couple of years uh, who does all the different crazy uh, 
Oh, Johnny Quato? Up. Johnny Quato. Yeah. I was thinking that would be kind of a fun one, and I'd be curious to see how the traject machine would imitate Johnny Quato. Just doing a little shimmy at the top. Yeah, exactly. All right, number two, Matt Brash. We've been talking about Brash and just, you know, Jerry mentioned him. Seeing 100 miles an hour with that slider and the curveball, I mean, it's supposed to be the best pitch in Major League history. How could I possibly not want to see it? Now, I would only want to see it starting at the center of the plate. Nah. I don't think I want to see it started at my head. You got to go full in no, if you do it. I don't want to do that. It can't hit you, though. But I'm definitely going to turn away. That's fine. It can't hit you. You turn. All right. So, I mean, I guess fine. You'll you'll just see everyone see the image of me ducking while the ball lands right in the middle of the plate. All right. I mean, I guess it's if I know. the best feeling as a pitcher to see a batter do that, though. I'm sure it is. I don't want any part of it. You've been seeing more guys able to do that with those two seamers now, too. Those sinkers that they start in on the hip and then end up over the plate. That and it's also a great pitch to get off the handle and break the bat. Weak yeah. contact. Easy. Yep. So uh, I'll put Matt Brash number two. And number one for me, because uh, you brought it up earlier, Brady, and I think you're right, is Edwin Diaz. And the reason is the arm angle. I mean, I'd love to see the difference between the slider and the fastball, which would be great. and Both are dirty. But the terror of his arm angle as as sidearmy as it is. Oh yeah, it it's not going to be fun facing him. If you have to I feel bad for any pitcher that faces the Mets when they're up in the ninth inning yeah. and you have to hear the trumpet come out just for this guy to yeah, carve Does the traject machine do the trumpet? Does it have the whole I don't know, we should have asked no, Jerry that. that. Would be awesome. I will bring a bluetooth speaker <laughs> and we will simulate it. I would like to see it do the whole, you know, Situation beforehand. We can play Lil Wayne. Uh, what Matt Brash comes out to Lil Wayne? Does he fire song? Right? Like oh, we right. went through all the Los Bombas songs last year. I wouldn't. You start thinking about some old guys. I like the idea of like some of the weird like the OCD guys, like Turk Wendell. Like to see what just to watch the whole like routine of him scratching himself and waving at the center fielder and brushing his teeth between pitches and all that stuff. You want to see weird old old pitcher. Can't remember his first name, but O'Day, the submarine pitcher, I believe he him. was in Arizona. His knuckles were oh, Darren touched. O'Day. Yeah, yeah, I remember. He Darren would O'Day. touch his knuckles to the ground oh, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, and he has a sinker. Just yeah, that'd be that. cool. That's the one thing I think the traject can't do with some of the uh, submarine guys because that'd be fun to watch, like a Dan Quisenberry or Chad Bradford or somebody like that. All right, we got to run. Uh, time for us to get out of here. When I talk to you guys next, we will be in Peoria. More looking forward to it. Brady, great job today and this week. Um, yeah. Ty France. Turns out he was actually hurt, in case you were wondering. Okay. Just thought I'd mention that once again. Uh, stick around for Bump and Stacy. They're, ne- they're up next. We will talk to you guys Monday morning from spring training. Until then, the hay is in the barn. See ya.